Welcome to the Edible Alpha podcast series, your source for actionable insights into making money in food. I'm Tara Johnson, the Tara's Way Lady, and we're here to talk to a wide range of stakeholders about what it really takes to grow a financially viable food business. Uh, Travis, thanks for coming down to visit us today. Thank you for having me. I I um, appreciate you making the trek here from you're in Milwaukee, correct? Yep. Yeah. Uh, Waste Cap yeah. Resource Solutions is located uh, just on the west side of Marquette's campus in downtown Milwaukee. Okay. Yeah, and w- you're going to tell us more about Waste Cap, but um, I think this is going to be a really interesting interview because um, you are n- an you are the executive director of an organization that isn't specifically focused on food, although you're focused on waste, which has brought you into food, which is fantastic. So why don't you um, tell us more about what is, what you do and about WasteCap? Oh, absolutely. I'm the new executive director at WasteCap Resource Solutions. I've been there for six months now. And WasteCap is uh, an environmental nonprofit organization And our mission is to provide waste reduction and recycling assistance for the benefit of business and the environment. And our ultimate vision is to transform waste into resources. Um, So what does that mean exactly? For over the last 20 years, this organization has been really focused on construction and demolition waste management. They more or less wrote the playbook on developing the state's program in the state of Wisconsin. And also, they've worked with many, many clients as consultants. And throughout that whole process, we've done a tremendous job of reducing, you know, millions of tons from the landfill. And I don't have the exact numbers on hand right now, but it's pretty remarkable what WasteCap has done over these last 20 years. Mm -hmm. Um, But as you said, uh, we're talking about food now. And... Over the last five years, uh, WasteCap has got into other different types of waste streams. So not just construction and demolition waste, but also electronics waste recycling, as well as food waste. And we're here today to talk about the uh, fifth annual uh, Food Waste Forum. Mm-hmm. And this year, we're doing something different. We're doing a five-by-five, five, uh, which means each presenter that we have is going to get five minutes uh, and five slides to talk about their creative business solution on how to address food waste at their company. And uh, as you mentioned, and as WasteCap as a larger organization, um, we we do it all, and we're trying to we're trying to help each business community or each business sector uh, with our solutions. And when I say solutions is who's the right vendor to use for this um, type of food waste or any type of waste that is unconventional. So getting back to where your organization started, you know um, Medicine Environmental Group, remember? Yeah, yeah, Sonia started that here, and she started by doing um, construction waste. I don't know if you call it mitigation or what, mm-hmm. what, but it was diverting. They would come in, and if you were doing demolition, and say, okay, well, we'll help you dispose of that so it doesn't all end up in the landfill, and it went to recycling uses, put it that way. Is that how your organization started as well? Yeah, absolutely. Actually, it did start as, it was originally called uh, Waste Cap Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and 
there was a number of different groups across the United States. Uh, there still is a waste cap Nebraska out mm-hmm. there, um, but each as the years went by, each organization um, either stopped doing what they were doing or they became a different uh, organization, like, for example, Waste Cap Nebraska. And, and for us, we became re- Waste Cap Resource Solutions. And Did you, you do the consulting then, too? Yes. You did. And, okay. Uh, Sonia Newenhouse is actually one of the founding members. Oh, uh, okay. And executive, great. I think she may have been the first executive director. Okay. That's great. Yeah. Sonia is one of my favorite serial entrepreneurs in green entrepreneurship. I, I, I don't even know if that's a term, but <laughs> anyway. Okay. So, so that's how you started. And... Um, you know, it's funny because these things start and then that became a mainstream practice, right? Mm-hmm. Which is exactly what we want to see happen. So what did your organization tackle next? So what we've been tackling um, recently is we're getting our hands around uh, the lead consulting portion mm-hmm. of it. Um, for In lead consulting, the construction, demolition, waste management is one credit. Mm-hmm. In the or one yeah, one credit category in um, in that, and you know we do that really well. But we've also expanded our services to do more uh, of the what is called the construction credits for lead. So whether it's the indoor air quality management plan, uh, since we're on site, we can also do those types of inspections as well. Um, so. And we also just recently brought on a really, really great lead consultant mm-hmm. um, with over 10 years of experience. And um, my past life includes lead consulting as well. So it's we have a really good team for continuing the green building design and construction process, mm-hmm. as well as the operations and maintenance of buildings as well. Sure. So that, I would say, was directly after or tied into the construction, demolition, waste management side. Yeah, so Tara's way is, I think you know this, we we built our plant using the LEED standard. So in the case of of um, Tara's way, that plant was a, a new construction. So in some ways, it was a gift to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And the LEED standard for me helped um, coordinate all the contracting, the subcontractors, and everybody was kind of on the same page about a philosophy as much as anything. And we didn't go on to get certified because it was expensive to get certified, but it was an incredibly useful tool for um, getting alignment in a project that's really complicated, like building a food processing facility that's incredibly automated. Um, It's still my impression, though, that, that people in the food industry don't even understand that you could you could use the lead standard and that it isn't necessarily adding a bunch of costs to a project. Um, you know, they think, oh boy, if I follow that, that's going to cost a lot. And I think in some cases it was actually, it actually ended up saving us money in a lot of ways, certainly from an operating perspective. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head right there. Um, from my past experience and from what we've seen is uh, lead is not an addition of what you're already doing. It's essentially the best practices and standards that are already out there. For example, um, for energy efficiency, they look at the ASHRAE uh, building code standard. Um, So really what you're doing is uh, every building has to be built to code. And then from that code, 
uh, lead for that for that particular credit category uh, assigns you more points on how much better you do. So if you're looking at a, um, let's say, 10% energy reduction from code, how many more points is that? Or is it if I have a 20% better energy reduction overall in the building and design aspect? So with that, what you do there is have to do an energy model and look into that as far as the building of it. Um, so in the LEED standard, there's five different categories. There's the new construction, there's the, which is BDNC, there's uh, operations and maintenance, O&M, uh, interior design and construction, IDNC, uh, there's homes, and there's also neighborhoods. So it's funny talking LEED because we can go down a whole large wormhole, um, but ultimately what LEED does, it, it takes existing standards um, like I said, ASHRAE, another one is using the WaterSense label, uh, those types of standards that are already out there and just says, how can I be better than this? Mm -hmm. So that's the great part about it. Yeah, and I think that people think that being better than the standard necessarily means it's going to cost more. So um, I, I have I, a couple of examples from, from my situation. The first is that we handled all the wastewater on the site um, with how we landscaped the site and had, had industrial-scale rain gardens on the site. And that really didn't cost anything more than traditional landscaping because that it was new construction. It would have had to have been landscaped anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and then r soon after we opened our plant, um, the, the EPA, um, there was some, some I, I'm not sure how it, f it flowed through to the municipalities in the M Mississippi watershed, but because of all of the waste going down the Mississippi, they started um, implementing fees, I would discharge fees, I think, into the Mississippi is how that would have worked. And that kept backing up the watershed. So uh, my plant was in Reedsburg, and ultimately it's in the watershed. And so, um, so I had very low discharges from this plant that had a huge flat roof and a gigantic parking lot because trucks were coming in um, and had to turn around. So you have to have a lot of parking uh, or a lot of, of um, concrete to make that happen. And actually, I think it was asphalt, but whatever it was, um, a lot of it. And all of that water um, discharged into these rain um, rain gardens. And so as a result, we didn't have to pay any fees. And so the city, when when this these fees started getting implemented, um, uh, other other facilities around Reedsburg were complaining about the fees, and they said, well, you should go look at Wisconsin Specialty Approaching because they handle their wastewater in such a way that we don't have, they don't have to pay. They, I mean, we would have had to pay, but we didn't have discharges. Mm -hmm. So that's my story about relevant to, to what you're saying, that, that um, just because you're doing better than the standard doesn't mean it actually ends up costing the business more. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And what we've ran into is being you know, an, a lead consultant, we see um, general contractors or subcontractors um, try to assign additional, um, uh, try, trying to make it more costly or more expensive to say, oh, it's a lead credit or this is for mm -hmm. lead. I'm like, no, this is a construction waste management plan or this is an erosion sedimentation control plan or storm, um, storm water pollution prevention plan. This is standard, mm -hmm. especially in Wisconsin and in, in the United States. Uh, there's a lot of just standard practices that although it is 
in uh, maybe it may be a prerequisite in the lead standard or it may be a credit in the lead standard. Uh, it should be done regardless, and it's even not even above and beyond. It's just standard practice. Yeah, so we, yeah. we see that a lot. Yeah, yeah. So you still do lead consulting and support lead-in projects? Yep. We do not do all of the lead consulting mm-hmm. because of we have to be mission-focused. Right, so we, we focus on essentially half of the credits in a building design mm-hmm. and construction process, and that, that would be what we call the construction credits. Sure. Um, so, so if a food company wanted to build, it was building a plant or, or moving into an old plant and is going to do some major construction, would it make sense to call you and just say, yeah, we're thinking about this? And Absolutely. It would make sense for a lot of reasons because um, I mentioned we have a new uh, director of project management. His name is Daniel Hartzig, and he actually worked on um, large commercial food operations and manufacturing so well, that's handy. He would be the go-to person um, on talking about these projects, and he could even, um, being there, he could add some insight into the design process as well. Mm-hmm. He is a licensed architect, and he's been doing uh, lead for a long time. And again, his clients that he's had, he's been in many, many, many um, factories and food manufacturing plants across uh, across the world. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic because there there are things about food manufacturing facilities that it kind of doesn't matter what kind of foods you're making. They're pretty much standard practices and requirements for the environmental handling of things. And so that's that's terrific to know that he has that background. That would be incredibly helpful. My experience with people like that is that they understand businesses are bottom line driven, right? And they are incredibly helpful in sorting out, um, you know, there, there's there's a lot of technologies that could be used. Like I could have had solar panels, right? Mm-hmm. But but the economics of solar panels for my plant was not it made no sense. Um, having said that, heat recovery from the boiler made a ton of sense, and so. Having people like the p- person on your staff to help give feedback about that as an owner is really helpful. Absolutely. Um, you said so heat recovery and then even like um, probably your um, heat recovery for either your water systems or your air handling units, whatever you're using. Mm-hmm. Um, those are just, when you really think about it and you're talking about how much energy that you're using at one of these facilities, um, to take that back is... It's amazing. It goes directly to your bottom line, and now you can produce more food and pay your staff and cover all your other costs that you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was a great one. We had a 65-foot-tall dryer so heat, um, and a gigantic boiler to heat it, so we had a lot of heat recovery potential. Yeah. That and heat exchange in the, in the process, too. We did a lot of that. So, okay, wonderful. So... Um, so you started doing lead, and now um, when did you start thinking about food waste recovery? So this is our fifth year doing the food waste forum. Mm-hmm. So we're still new in this mm-hmm. area, but we've, as an organization, have developed a lot of working relationships, and we have um, clients in the past that are uh, food companies and also food companies that just ask us a lot of questions and give us a call and say, hey, what can we do with this waste stream? Or who's a vendor that'll take X, Y, and Z? And we, we get that a lot. So as we develop, as our group develops, we see that 
um, food waste and food consulting is whether we need to be the um, the sole on consultant for this group. We can at least get all the folks in the in the room talking with each other. Mm-hmm. We find that that's been our strategy so far mm-hmm. uh, in building relationships with that. And again, I'm still new and our, we have some new people on our staff, uh, but we're, we'll help where we can. And then we'll let the other folks, you know, work with each other and mm-hmm. learn from each other. Because, um, yeah, we have expertise in the building design construction, the lead consulting and that. Um, but it's all connected. And we think just continually having this food waste form, bringing people in, and also talking about, hey, what's the best way of disposing of what people would call food waste? Mm-hmm. You know, I call it a resource. Mm-hmm. It's never waste until it's wasted. Right, right. Exactly. It's, I like that. It's never... I like that. Yeah, so... Um, so y- and y- your organization historically has worked mostly with bus- the business community, right? And it's out at your um, role in the food waste world because there are lots of nonprofits who are working on food waste in various ways, right? But I think my my sense about you guys is that you're working at this with the manufacturing community itself. Yes, and yeah, that would be our traditional client, I would mm-hmm. say, is we're, we're trying to get in the, the manufacturing uh, realm. And, and to go uh, along those lines, there's a new standard or new certification uh, out there right now. The U.S. Green Business Council just recently released a new standard um, for zero waste. Mm-hmm. Um, and the USGBC just bought up the U.S. Zero Waste Building Business Council, I believe. Sorry, there's a lot of acronyms here. So essentially, so the USGBC is the U.S. Green Business Council. It is the same nonprofit entity that Mm -hmm. uh, does the LEED certification. Okay. They've bought up a lot of different certifications throughout the years now. Uh, One they recently just acquired is they uh, bought or merged with the U.S. Zero Waste Business Council. And what that does is they had their own zero waste standard. And I'm strategically thinking about this as that's going to be a certification that will mean something in the future Mm -hmm. for these manufacturing facilities, especially, Mm -hmm. uh, because the whole goal is how do you get to zero waste? Well, if you're a food manufacturer, how do you get um, zero food waste or that that's really your your product and how to um, to make that and also to be able to market it, promote it, share it, and reduce your cost along the line. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one uh, standard that WasteCap has recently um, started getting into. And I'm a zero waste business associate. Mm-hmm. Very similar how you have uh, lead credentials mm-hmm. as you have those consultants or you have those people that need to get those. Uh, uh, education and experience. So we think that's going to be a huge area for us. So so tell us a little bit more about that zero waste standard because so so Terra's way we sold um, organic way we're very much in a um, a food industry category where the consumer really cares about this stuff. Um, the largest national trade show of the year this year in the natural foods category had a whole. Um, track about um, 
well, sustainability and, and resilience in agriculture. So it, it just seems to me like this zero waste initiative um, is something that would really resonate with this consumer group. Yeah, absolutely. So what it is, it's very similar um, to a LEED uh, standard in a lot of ways. Um, there, there's, there's a few differences, and it's really focusing on you know, your operations. So it's operations-focused. It's saying, okay, first you have to hit certain requirements, and that being you have to be um, 90%. In order to, well, first of all, the definition of zero waste is different for everyone, mm-hmm. and there is no standard across the board. So what this zero waste standard does is saying, okay, we're drawing a line in the sand and this is what zero waste means and uh, which includes a number of things, but essentially it's not even zero. It's actually 90% of Mm -hmm. the waste is diverted. It's that last 10% that really gets everyone. Uh, Well, it's diminishing returns, right? It would start becoming so expensive that nobody would do it. Absolutely. Yeah. so, so with that being said, that's where you start. And then you have to show um, you have so many different categories and different sections. So, example, there may be a recite or reduce section to show um, first what's your baseline, what are you currently doing, and then showing improvement and what you've done over a course of time. So it's kind of a continuous improvement standard. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot to talk about there, and I'm still mm-hmm. getting into it and pretty new to it. But mm-hmm. we think that's going to be a huge opportunity for businesses and manufacturing mm-hmm. um, folks to not just say, hey, look at me, I have this sticker or I have this gold star, but how it translates into saving money and mm-hmm. saving the bottom line and finding different vendors to take your, your food waste or innovative solutions or, hey, why do I even have cardboard coming my t- into my facility in the first place? Mm-hmm. Why do I have to take that? Why do I have to bail it? Can I send it back? So it's rethinking the business model entirely. Mm-hmm. And when you're a big uh, player and when you're a big, um, when you're someone like Walmart, for example, you can really, you can you can do things like that. And right, really dem- can dictate the terms, dictate right. And or... Um, but even some of these other large mm-hmm. manufacturing companies, they have buying power. Mm-hmm. So they can make decisions to other vendors, and um, that'll help the whole value chain mm-hmm. um, with the reduction of waste if they rethink how even packaging works. Right, right. Yeah, I th- I remember, I don't know when it was, the, the Nordic countries, um, and I'm not sure which one it was, maybe Sweden, but um, they instituted... Um, regulations around packaging that said that you actually had to need packaging. Mm. Otherwise, it was superfluous, right? And you can't have it. So the manufacturers were, were scrambling to figure out w- ways to to make an argument that their packaging was needed. And um, I, I just thought that is such a different it's a, such a different way of thinking about packaging than we think about packaging. And in food, um, the importance of packaging is huge in terms of that's your one opportunity to convey anything to a consumer, right? Um, and as a result, um, I think packaging has gotten, I don't know, even more um, complicated these days than it ever was before. More options, more, yeah. No, absolutely. And I think I was I was really focused on when we were talking packaging. It's the the 
the other type of packaging where the material comes in. So the amount mm-hmm. of cardboard boxes and the bulk packaging and, and pallets and all, and all that, that stuff. Mm-hmm. Cause you gotta, I mean, essentially the packaging is very important from a health standard mm-hmm. <laughs> and you gotta have that and you have to have regular, you have to have standards mm-hmm. in the packaging realm to make sure your product is safe for everyone too. So it's a conundrum. Yeah, no. And I remember with Tara's ways, um, people were kept telling me when we were putting together our packaging that, oh, the cool thing to do in whey protein now is to do these big plastic tubs, right? And I was like, okay, so I'm doing this green manufacturing facility and, and I, you know, plastic tubs make absolutely no sense for my brand. My brand um, needed to be in cardboard. It needed to be 100% recyclable packaging. And that was something that my consumer appreciated, actually. That's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess what is interesting to me about what you, this new standard evolving is the opportunity it, it, it could present for companies and brands like Terra's Way that, that are um, positioning around clean and environmentally responsible in everything we did and do um, to learn more about packaging options and processes in the in the facility and then you could help consumers understand how to differentiate that because your average consumer won't understand the difference unless somebody's helping them understand that they understand it that can but not the stuff that you were talking about no absolutely absolutely and that's why those standards um the lead standards they do as long as it gets market adoption then they really have a place because now you're, you have everyone, every type of business or every type of field in that particular standard. Rather than just throwing an eco-label on it, you're mm-hmm. really, it means something behind it. Right. And that when there is market adoption, this is the definition of zero waste, and this mm-hmm. is what we mean by that. And this is, how, this is the evidence to support this facility doing that, which is even the most important part right, of it. Right, right. So, um, so it's relatively new then for your organization. Very new. Very new. Okay. Yeah. The the consulting work that we do is pretty one off basis mm-hmm. for food waste, and that's mm-hmm. why we continually hold this. So we're thinking the we have to come at it on saying, okay, well, why would they involve waste cap in here? Mm-hmm. Like, what is our value proposition um, right now? Companies have been using us for, if we have member companies, they come in and give us, ask us questions and mm-hmm. we help them for a very short amount of time. And right. it's not a fee-based thing. It's right. just quick and painless. Mm-hmm. So our, but what's an example of a question that they'd come to you with? Um, let's see here. Uh, one example is, so we have a, one thing I haven't mentioned is we have a waste management software mm-hmm. called WasteCap Trace. Mm-hmm. And... It's been used for construction or building design and construction projects for waste management, but it's also been now used for operations. And in that operations, uh, the clients that we have or the people that are using our software are a lot of different types of businesses. Uh, One that just recently came up is um, one of our waste connection uh, businesses are using it and want to use brine. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have a category for brine. Mm-hmm. So they're saying, okay, how do we... Very salty water, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so from our standpoint is we're now seeing, even in our waste management software program, how we need to realign even our categories because we don't have an easy way of just including other mm-hmm. um, 
and that's we're actually revamping our whole entire software program right now. Mm-hmm. So in this case, we're not we're like two we're like removed one we're like once removed from the process mm-hmm. in this where we're we're supplying them the software for it. Mm-hmm. They're doing what they need to do um, in the tracking of all of that, and we're mm-hmm. removed from it. But they're not really asking us. Okay, now what's the extra, what, is there a vendor for it or how mm-hmm. do we properly dispose of this? And that's where we, as waste capital, we're very new, very, mm-hmm. very new. So I'm mm-hmm. not even going to say that we're experts in the food waste mm-hmm. uh, field because this is the reason why we're hosting the forum is mm-hmm. to get everyone in the room and uh, solicit our services if needed. Mm-hmm. If we're not needed, that's fine. Mm-hmm. As long as we keep getting people in the room, it's going to support Mm-hmm. our organization's mission. Right. And maybe that's just something that we're not going to get into um, for a, a consulting thing. Sure. However, we're kind of banking on the the zero waste certification mm-hmm. as one of those avenues that could possibly be mm-hmm. a big potential for us. Sure. So for those of you who, listeners who don't know what brine is, um, when you make cheese, um, some cheese you put the salt into the um, into the milk and with enzymes, so it um, when it coagulates it makes cheese curds, right? That in in some cheeses you don't put the salt in, then you put it in a brine. Um, so you make that you form the cheese and then it sits in a brine that is very salty water. And you know some cheeses it's twenty four hours are all different time requirements, um, but it's extraordinarily salty, and then the cheese absorbs the salt from the brine. So we used to, I used to run a cheese plant, um, I used to run a cheese company our, that had brine cheese, so we had a huge um, silo, water, you know, like a milk silo, looks like a milk silo, except it was for brine, <laughs> and then periodically you have to change out the water and the brine, and so then you have a big disposal challenge with extraordinarily salty water yeah we recently have a contract with the university of wisconsin milwaukee Mm -hmm. and we're the primary contractor for all of their food waste or sorry for all of their waste Mm -hmm. um, disposal for their whole operations so what that means is we have all these other vendors who are specialized in each type of waste stream Mm -hmm. so we have your traditional trash and recycling and um front load and front load containers and um, roll off containers for that. And then we also have uh, paper shredding. And one thing we've also done is organics and used cooking oil. So on the organic side, this is a project that's very new to us and we're still working out the kinks. but the organic side, it's the we're looking at both the pre-consumer and post-consumer food waste. Uh, the pre-consumer is always much easier to do. It's in the back of the house uh, food preparation mm, of the university, so mm-hmm. at the residence halls and sure. all of that. So we brought we've been brought on to find solutions on how to, you know, reduce their waste. Pre and post consumer. Pre and post consumer for that project. Too. Food waste. And that's for every that's for every um, type of waste stream that mm-hmm. we're looking at is how do we um, reduce this waste from the landfill? Right. Or how do we reduce waste and how does it not even uh, start in the first place? How do right. we actually 
reduce the first R. Right. So are you looking back in the supply chain before the food comes to the to the university, or is your role really at from the door the time it enters the university? Right now, it's the time it. Right now, we have to take it from the time it enters. So mm-hmm. we have to first develop what is being thrown away. And mm-hmm. what is the contamination rate? Mm-hmm. And because that's the worst thing you can do. The worst thing you can do is start a whole composting program and then be improperly sorted or contaminated. Mm-hmm. So if it's contaminated, then you lose the then whole you lose thing. it all. Yeah. So all that time, all that effort spent in it, it's going right to the landfill. So mm-hmm. the one thing you didn't want to do now, you just wasted time and effort and potentially resources to do that. Mm-hmm. So that's where we come in. So you do yeah. compost. We do compost as well. So that's where we hold, We wear a lot of hats, and we got to be careful of how we address each project mm-hmm. and really think about the end goal of all of that. And like what you said, um, as far as addressing the purchasing of materials, because one thing when you have for example, like a stadium. If you're a closed, confined stadium, and you're seeing this done at a lot of college stadiums across um, the nation of where it's a zero-waste stadium, because what's ever purchased in that stadium can be compostable or mm-hmm. whatever, or it can be recyclable. Mm-hmm. So if you do that, then you control what the materials are in that area. Mm-hmm. It's a little different in a university setting because it's a more open campus, but still, if you're in a cafeteria, like you said, if you purchased all things that are compostable or if you um, have reusable dishware, then those dishes aren't going into, or mm-hmm. shouldn't be going into the compost. Mm-hmm. And I say shouldn't because I've worked on Sometimes they products. do, yeah. I, it, it is, it's a crazy thing in my house too. Like why is it that how, you can have a, you know, Thanksgiving dinner and lose a fork? Like how does that happen? I, I don't know. Like, I have to sort through every time. <laughs> like, what is this? When, you know, 20 people over and you lose a fork. I don't get it. Yeah. Multiply that by how many people are at the university, and there's probably quite a few forks. Yeah. yeah. So so um, in that project, then, are you working on um, actual, you know, like sorting of food and packaging and making sure that the food waste is going in one place. And then I know from my home composting efforts that you really shouldn't have things like fish bones and stuff in your, in your compost. And so, yeah, tell us about that. Yeah. So right now we're just establishing the baseline Mm -hmm. for all of this. And really the next, the first year is essentially establishing the baseline and really figuring out. Fact finding, basically. Waste audits, Mm -hmm. really understanding what is the waste stream Mm -hmm. and what are the big um, missed sorted uh, items. Mm -hmm. That That's our primary focus with the post-consumer composting. That's probably one of the most difficult projects I've ever worked on. And I've worked (laughs) on a number of these uh, in the past and that is by far the most difficult because you're changing the mindset and behavior of so many people. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the people people after they get their food, right? Correct. So what they do with their silverware, what they do with their plates, what they do with yeah. the food that they didn't eat. It's much, yeah, exactly. It's much easier to um, do what you call it in the back of the house, where you have your food prep staff, mm-hmm. your chefs, and everyone uh, creating the food, and you'll have you know, scraps from cutting vegetables and uh, fruits and 
you know, you have mm-hmm. gen- general small food scraps. Well, that you have a bucket. It's now it's a system, and you're doing it every day. It's very easy to train someone to do that. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to break someone's habit who's just an average uh, consumer of food products. Mm-hmm. So as you can imagine, this is probably one of the hardest things to do in the food waste business, I would mm-hmm. have to say, because you're changing the mindset and behavior of so many people and there's so many questions around even recycling mm-hmm. and there's so many questions around, okay, well, what can be composted and who is my hauler and where is this going at the end? Cause if it's, it's different, composting is different if it's an industrial compost facility or if it's going to an anaerobic digester, as opposed to, is it going in my backyard? Right. Right. Yeah, of course. So, um, so what do you think about, um, I can't remember where I was. I was at some, at some venue where um, they had recyclable plastic silverware and plates. What do you think about that? Um, there is a time and a place for everything. Mm-hmm. And so did you mean compostable recycle or plates? And you know, I didn't notice. Yeah. I didn't notice whether it was compostable or not. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, so recyclable. Um, so like bottled water to me is like the bane of my existence. Right. Because Aren't you proud of me? I have water in a, in a, yeah. Yeah. In a reusable container. No, absolutely. It really is because you look at the, and you, you look at, um, the amount of, and the only reason it is, or there's a lot of reasons, but number one is the cost of it. Mm-hmm. That cost is like a hundred or maybe thousand percent markup. It's insane how mm-hmm. how much more of a markup it is, and especially in the state of Wisconsin where we do have clean water. Right. Or so we thought. That's another discussion yeah. altogether. Yeah. Uh, but um, so going back to that, there's the environmental cost to it. There's the economic cost of something like that. But there is a time and a place for everything, um, mm-hmm. and it. It wouldn't be right of me to say that, you know, oh, ban all plastic and just have use re- reuse, reusable containers because there are times when it just isn't practical. Yeah. So you have and to, like, take that into account. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, what I think about is if you're running a facility, like any, any place who has to wash dishes will tell you that it's the hardest position to fill in the back of house and... We don't have enough people for back of house. And so while it would be lovely to think that everybody is going to use, you know, washable real dishes and silverware, it's not practical in a lot of cases, right? And Mm -hmm. it would be very costly. So the idea of having some kind of disposable thing that doesn't, that actually would be either compostable or recyclable is may not be a bad solution, right? Mm -hmm. And then you don't have to change as many consumer behavior either. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it's all depends. You have to look at the place that you're speaking of. So if it's a true cafeteria, mm-hmm. then it probably does make sense, like where it's mm-hmm. th- and you have enough volume. Right. Um, but if it's just a um, like a badger market here on UW, UW Madison's campus, mm-hmm. it may not be a good model because you don't right. have the space. You don't have. Right. That's not your client. Your client is they're grabbing a sandwich and they're going. Right. Or they're grabbing an apple or they're grabbing something or a, a right. salad and it needs to be in a container um, right. like that. And what you're really, your organization, it sounds like what you're helping with is kind of auditing and then um, creating a management framework for the organization to do their own implementation, right? So they're, they have to 
um, I mean, obviously, you're not operating anything, right? So, so they're going to have to implement on their own. Absolutely. Waste audits are a key um, starting point mm-hmm. for any business mm-hmm. that we work on, no matter what type of uh, waste project that it is. We have to know what is the composition mm-hmm. of those bins, what's what's going in the actual waste stream of. And it's really interesting looking at something like the the trash or the landfill bin, and then you do a waste audit, and then you separate everything out by landfill. Well, what could be, what is actual landfill? Mm -hmm. What is, could have been recycled and then what could have been composted? And you take those three categories and you break them out by weight and now you have a good composition of how that's broken out. What a hoot. So do you like put on a hazmat suit and plastic things and like dive into the dumpster? Is that how this happens? That's exactly how that happens. It is. (laughs) And what's really funny is, so when I was a, graduate student at uh, UW-Madison, I taught a course with Kathy Middlecamp uh, and Tom Bryan and Tim Lindstrom and Kata Dosa. And what we did there is we had uh, one of the assignments or one of the laboratories for the students was to do a waste audit of their uh, residence hall. Oh, my goodness. And it's interesting. It's eye- And it's eye-opening when you get students who are the waste generators. Right. These are the people who are living here generating their waste and really seeing what's going in here. And it's an eye, it's a very, very eye-opening experience for anyone to do a waste audit Mm -hmm. because now you're, you're seeing how much is being thrown into the landfill or how much is being improperly sorted. Right. And especially with compost is, is crazy because compost is heavy Mm. because it's mostly water. Right. 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 And, or organic material or compostable materials, essentially water for you have all those organics. And to do each stream like that, to just look at a trash bin, to look at the trash bin and look at the recyclables and see, you know, did they get it right? Mm-hmm. And it's, mm-hmm. it's shocking to see how bad some of the results are sometimes. Right, right. So then, yeah, our, organiza- our organization would come in and say, okay, here are solutions. Because mm-hmm. like I said earlier, the behavior change is a huge, huge deal in doing this. And I know this is, people may say like, okay, well, this is kind of small potatoes. We need to look up the, mm-hmm. the value chain and say like, okay, well, this is on the, on the, on the bottom end mm-hmm. of what you could be doing with this. But ultimately, like these are all people generating it. So mm-hmm. similarly to recycling, if we weren't taught as young students how to recycle, How's the next generation going to figure out this composting problem? Right, right. It is an interesting thing, isn't it? I, I'm, I'm starting to think about a, it would be interesting even for a family to do an audit like that. You know, that, uh, yeah. I've seen a lot of fun, or not, I would say fun, or just yeah, another, I think another it would be fun. eye-opening experience of what a family did is they, instead of putting their trash into their actual curbside recite or curbside uh, just trash disposal, they put it in their garage. And they did it for like six months. And guess what? Their garage was, was overfull. Full. Yeah. I, I forgot what the actual timeline was, but when they really started seeing how much waste they produced, it is, it's crazy. And I'm sure as Americans, I'm sure we're one of the largest culprits of that. Just looking at the grocery stores that I've been to and how we consume so much mm-hmm. resources and materials. Right, right. So um, so 
moving on to your conference. So your the upcoming conference is about food waste. Um, and and so tell us more about the you know what's motivating you to do this and yeah so our largest mo- motivation is to continue what we've already been doing so like I said this is the fifth annual um, mm-hmm. food waste forum that mm-hmm. we're calling it and mm-hmm. we even made it we're calling it a five by five this year mm-hmm. and our main motivation is that this is an area where WasteCap has we we again like I said we don't have a ton of consulting projects in this. Um, but we think it's a huge opportunity for us personally, mm-hmm. but also in a greater way of sending our message and making sure it aligns with, hey, this is a huge sector that needs to be addressed. I can't, I, the percentage of food in the United States that is waste, do you happen to know what that percent is? I heard it recently, and it's it was huge. It was shocking to me. Yeah. The number that I always see that gets thrown around is 40%. 40%. And I, I don't have the right, I don't have the citation for that right now, but that 40% is from the whole value chain. Sure. So from where it starts um, and then where it ends up being either eaten or disposed of. What's shocking about that is that you got to think about the whole value chain of a food production. Uh, Tom Bryan, he was a colleague of mine who does the carbon footprint mm-hmm. of, of, of the food system. And right. he works here at UW-Madison mm-hmm. as a PhD student. Mm-hmm. And he traces everything. He, yeah, he's focused on the, the CO2 equivalent or the carbon footprint of those materials from when it's grown and then all of the steps that it takes from v- from vendor mm. to uh, from production to trans like so many different trans parts of transportation of this food it's 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 crazy. And one of the myths that he dispels is the food miles myth that yeah. everyone thinks that that's the biggest culprit. Yeah, it's it's, it's not trivial. So I don't yeah. I'm not even a scientist, but I've worked in food forever, and I can tell you that as a percent, you know, when you look at your total cost of goods sold for a food item, transportation is tiny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, he, and actually, these sort of small local things where you got a bunch of people driving around small local food in their car, it's worse than a giant truckload of tomatoes from Mexico yep. from, you know, from trans, the, just the carbon footprint. Yep. Absolutely. If you only look at, if you're only looking at the transportation aspect, then ab- absolutely. Mm-hmm. So in all of this, it's cause you're now you're talking about, okay, CO2 emissions, you're talking about soil degradation, mm-hmm. you're talking about, okay, what, um, the employment of who actually took that tomato off that plant. Right. And there's so many, when you start getting to food, you get into so many different areas and people are fired up about a lot of different parts. Dynamics. Yes. yes. Welcome to my life. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but going back to that, um, I just brought that up because that's a, it's a really another um, thing that we're thinking of in this process. But we're focusing on using the food recovery hierarchy from the EPA to mm-hmm. guide our conversation for food waste. Cool. Uh, and I would say the best thing that you can do with food waste is never waste it. Right. Eat what's on your plate. Right. Take portions that um, that you actually do like that you actually need and want. Mm-hmm. And even for a business, is probably thinking the same way. Like a business doesn't want to waste food. Mm-hmm. That's not what they want to do. They don't want to right. waste the product that they're selling. Right. They have no, like you said, like there's no way someone wanted to do that. 
So, but just, it's a byproduct of the system that we're in and it's, it's hard to get it perfect every day, day in and day out. Right. It's funny. I think about my grandmother who, um, you know, they live, that generation lived through the depression. And so she was always eat all the food on your plate. You know, there are starving people somewhere. Um, and then it got to my mother's generation and she did that a little bit, but not very much. Mm -hmm. And then it got to my generation and I, Thought it was important, but it wasn't like my grandma, you know? And it, it's interesting to see how our values about f- wasting food have changed over time. Well, it's also, it really matters on who's putting the food on your plate, too, because if you have to eat all that food sometimes, if my grandma puts all the food oh, on no. my plate, now we have a health problem. All right, <laughs> there is another problem there, isn't there? Yeah. So, yeah, taking the, the correct portions, and that's what yes. it's all about, taking the correct portions on how we consume food take and making sure in a larger context of how do we, you know, make the right portions that fit Mm -hmm. the greater community. But ultimately, yeah, source reduction is the first thing that Mm -hmm. you can do for the food waste um, or food recovery hierarchy. And then the second one, and this is how our our, uh, five-by-five food waste presentation is structured. So each each presenter will have this, like, whatever topic they fall in, Mm -hmm. they'll go, they'll start first and we'll move down the line mm-hmm. with them. So it's, it's a bit like speed dating. It kind of is. Yeah, yeah, yeah I get it. <laughs> so then the next part is uh, to feed hungry people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in this category, we have uh, Feeding America mm-hmm. is a nonprofit organization that's going to be speaking on behalf of this and showing mm-hmm. their... And they'll, now they'll tell us stories of how how does their uh, operation look like, what does their mm-hmm. operation look like, and how do they... Um, do their daily tasks. Mm-hmm. I was happy enough to go to a fundraiser a month ago and hear them speak about all the great work that they're doing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so that's that's the second best thing you can do with this, what we call food waste. Right. So source, I'm going to push back to source reduction. Um, do you have some people who are talking about um, the issue of a farm, at, at the farm level, food waste? Because um, I, I have... So, for example, I work with the Wisconsin Food Hub Cooperative, so there's lots of vegetable farmers in that in that cooperative. And, um, you know, there are times when the prices last year were so low, it did not um, make economic sense for them to harvest at all. So now we're talking like, I don't know, 20, 30, 40, 100 acres of corn that just sat there. I, that's probably the most severe example of this, but there's a the estimates about farm level um, product that never leaves the farm. It's kind of an astonishing amount, and when you think about how all the, all the inputs that had to go into growing that, from an environmental perspective, the waste kind of gets magnified, right? Absolutely. So that's way above my pay grade. Okay. To tackle that. Perfect. But yeah. I know exactly what you mean because I also have. I've heard stories and friends who actually have a cranberry operation. Mm -hmm. And last year, it was one of those years where it actually, they were, I think they may have been paid to dispose of their cranberries. Yeah, yeah. And I look at, I look at, I look around and say, is that, how can that be? Yeah. And it's just because of the cost. It doesn't make sense. And, you know, we had too many cranberries. There's a whole bunch of things with agriculture. So... 
Yeah, I mean, I, and I can see why you would you would say that's above my pay grade. I mean, it is an incredibly complicated scenario. Even if you are a farmer who wants to do something different, it's very difficult to figure out what you can do that would be different. And yeah, in order to really understand that question, I would have to talk to these people who are yeah, doing it and look at the system that they're operating There's in. There's a big systematic issue with this um, worldwide and and you know talk about we're on a you know a planet with finite resources we've got a lot of people to feed there is definitely an opportunity to to create um, to create sources of food that are already there that aren't mm-hmm. getting to people because of issues like this yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because it sounds like there's a huge opportunity and a business to be focused just on that of saying when economically does not make sense for these products to go to market or go to the next mm-hmm. stage what can be done with that yeah and feeding america has been is trying to figure this out on some level um it's just very difficult to figure out the logistics and who's actually going to pay for so feeding america is um you know they'll package food products they'll rescue things that are close to date, code date and get them to food pantries and um, you know, they, mm-hmm. they can be way more articulate than I am about their mission, but that's in a nutshell. And when I've talked to them about farm level stuff, they're, they're like, you know, we would love to do it. It's really hard to do it because, yeah, I mean, because then you have fresh food, then the logistics of getting stuff, you, you don't have infinite number of days. It can't sit on inventory somewhere. There's a whole bunch of issues with it that, that I can understand would create some really significant obstacles. No, absolutely, absolutely. And, um, yeah, food waste for me and hearing these stories, yeah, it's a logistical nightmare, it sounds like. And Total we have to logistical it out. nightmare. But I think, I think what I'm hearing about, like, um, the methodological things that you're talking about with zero waste, mm-hmm. um, that would be a really interesting lens, I would think, to take a look at the problem because I think – you know, there are a lot of people who are interested in food waste in the activist community and the nonprofit community and, and businesses who don't want to, but, but, and farms, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But everybody's looking at their little piece of the puzzle, and it's not a little piece of the puzzle solution, right? Mm-hmm. Because otherwise people would have solved this already. There's too much money being left on the table in a way, right? So it's got to be a systemic solution. Yeah. Absolutely, and I agree with you 100%, and that would be... That's a whole nother yeah. conference, maybe it next really, year. It really You could is. do that next That'll be your conference next year. We just solved that problem for you. And you know what? It'd be great to get someone who is looking at this problem and seeing, okay, what... There are a bunch of people looking at pieces of the problem. Maybe there are some people who are looking at it broadly, systemically, mm-hmm. Um and what would what is interesting to me about your approach is that um, you know the zero waste standard is like like lead grew out of the business community, and I'm I'm hungry to see people who have that pragmatic business approach to problem solving like this and opportunity because it is an opportunity um, also, um, but but it needs that pragmatism to make a commercial model around it in order to make it work. Absolutely. Completely agree with that. Okay. So we got your conference for next year. Yeah, you do. This is, that would be wonderful if we can get some, see what 
work has been done in this mm-hmm, field mm-hmm. and see what kind of solutions or at least addressing the bigger systemic issues so if we can actually see a flow chart of saying why is this mm-hmm, happening mm-hmm. then we could have a better that much idea i think you could probably mm-hmm. find yeah uh, the next phase actually is so feeding animals so we'll have jonathan gatuski from the buddy group uh they're a very old company it's been around for over 100 years and they um, do a lot of different things but one of that is um, finding whatever byproducts are out there they find mm-hmm. a market for that and mm-hmm. some of those also means well farmers uh, need to feed cattle or mm-hmm. animals and that's one way uh, or another food recovery source mm-hmm. that they'll, we'll look into and mm-hmm. I'm actually learning I'm looking forward to just listening during that conversation yeah, of because course. I've always found that kind of interesting to mm-hmm. see what are what are the types of food that we're feeding animals. Oh, that brings up another that's concern. a whole another whole topic. Yeah. yeah, I I can't remember what it was in the last year. They there was a big um, controversy because they discovered, and I can't remember why they discovered it was some like environmental big storm or something that there was this giant truckload of red skittles that was headed toward to to for animal feed at on a feedlot somewhere in the west. I'm like, oh my god, a truckload of red skittles. It's funny you mention that because I was thinking the same thing. You were. Yeah, yes, because I was thinking the same thing because it actually it um, tipped over in Wisconsin. Oh, it did. Yeah. I didn't know it tipped over in Wisconsin. It tipped over in Wisconsin, and then people <sighs> said there were a bunch of red skittles all over the ground, and they said, "Well, where was it going to?" And someone said it was being used to feed animals. And um, the thing to remember with this is it actually they weren't just feeding red skittles to the animals. <laughs> there was a mixture. Uh, I think they would probably put together. But again, it just opens up the question of saying okay, why are we, what is going into these animals? Mm-hmm. And for the foodie community out there uh, or the environmentally conscious folk and or just people that care about health and mm-hmm. are aware of what's going into our bodies, this is a good question to ask. Mm-hmm. So I'm really interested to hear what uh, John Katuski and what, what byproducts they right. use. Because not everybody's doing it. And no, uh, and you know they're. I, I mean, whey, for example, was is been fed to pigs forever. Mm-hmm. It's also been fed to um, other kinds of livestock, um, um, calf starter feed, and and it turns out that that was a you know whey was considered a byproduct of making cheese at least here in the United States, and it turns out it's extraordinarily healthy for the pigs and mm-hmm. for the people, <laughs> yeah. and for the calves. So this isn't always a bad thing. It just, it just. You know, it just raises a question when you hear about a truckload of red Skittles. Like, can you imagine on your road? <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. <laughs> that, that's funny. Um, so, yeah, then the, the next part is the uh, the industrial use. And mm-hmm. as you alluded to earlier, this is kind of where waste cap sees itself. Right, that's your sweet spot, yeah. Of helping uh, folks out in here. And we'll have Michael Kellerman uh, from Insincorator. Mm-hmm. He's also a waste cap board member. Mm-hmm. And we'll have a representative from the Malorganite or Milwaukee Metropolitan Sewage District, mm-hmm. otherwise known as MMS, MMSD, mm-hmm. uh, speaking on that topic. And what's really great about this is um, Insincorator is one of those really, really old companies, mm-hmm. and they make garbage disposals. Right. Wow. Okay. And so people are saying, okay, well, we're talking food waste, so you're just going to grind it up and it's going to mm-hmm. go down the sink, and now it's done. But what it does is when you grind up all that organic matter, 
in a place like Milwaukee, it mm-hmm. goes to the sewage district. Mm-hmm. And once it goes to the um, MMSD of the sewage district, they actually take that and um, put it into, they do anaerobic digestion mm-hmm. with it and create more products out of it, like malorganite, which mm-hmm. is a fertilizer. Uh, so I'm really interested to hear both their take, both Michael Kellman's take, and uh, the Malorganite representative of saying, mm-hmm. um, you know, this is a built infrastructure that we have. Right, and it doesn't really ask consumers to do things that are that different, right? Exactly, and that's I think that's where the beauty of a solution like this is. If you mm-hmm. have, if the system's there, if the infrastructure's there, definitely go for it because now. You don't have to worry about the compost bin in your backyard mm-hmm. or you don't have, there's so many other barriers mm-hmm. that we have. But if we're using the kitchen to prep food and we're using the kitchen to dispose of food and you have that the incinerator, dis- so yeah. who's ripping it up and putting it down there and it's actually doing, um, it's actually better than composting in, in some cases, in most cases. So that's where. I'm feeling better about my garbage disposal. Yeah. Because everyone, everyone thinks about, okay, well, are you including in the water? And are you including in the hot water that you're using to then... You have to include all the factors. Into right, it. right. Because you're saying, well, I'm running hot. Maybe I'm running hot water. Maybe I'm running cold water. There's an energy difference between that. Mm-hmm. I'm running water. How much water am I mm-hmm. using? And then um, how much energy are they using at that facility? Um, mm-hmm. The only thing you don't get by doing that is you don't get fertile soil that you can use in your right, backyard. Right, right. But also that takes a lot of man hours, energy input to even compost. So Mm -hmm. all these things are very interesting. And when you start looking at them as a scientist would, Mm -hmm. you start um, thinking that these solutions aren't so easy after all and saying one's better than the other. So that's why I always go to people who are smarter than me, like Mm -hmm. the EPA. Mm -hmm. They spend their lives doing this and Mm -hmm. um, it's nice to have someone to back up and go through this process. Sure. Sure. So, okay, that's good. And then it makes me think about, um, you know, waste on an industrial scale, like, um, I don't know, people, companies that make um, uh, sauerkraut or or fermented vegetables out of waste. So, you know, that, that is an example of a food product that is made, that can be made from say, cabbage that doesn't look, you know, it isn't shaped right or the color isn't right, you can make sauerkraut out of it. Mm-hmm. So um, there are some food companies that have kind of taken rescued food like this as part of their mission. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, the big thing with this, the industrial part, is how do you recover that energy that's in there, mm-hmm. that stored that stored chemical potential energy that's in it, it's going to decompose some way, shape, or form. Right. How can we recover that energy out of it? Mm-hmm. And I, I forgot to mention, um, Insincorator also has a program called Grind to Energy mm. uh, for those larger businesses like a Sendex food mm-hmm. uh, grocer. They use Grind to Energy. And, and they, what is Grind Energy? Uh, it's a smaller anaerobic digester type Mm -hmm. program where you can grind up all of the food waste, store it into a container, and then you can take it to an anaerobic digester and then um, do that, recover the energy um, Mm -hmm. from that process. So would Sandex have the anaerobic digester themselves or it's off, it's somewhere else? I think it's off-site. I believe it's off-site because... You would need a lot. A lot of space and a lot of infrastructure built up. But what they do is um, they do the 
the tank then at mm-hmm. the so they'd do a large tank and they'd have the truck pick up that tank mm-hmm. once it's full swap it out and I'm I would imagine they don't quote me on this but I would imagine they'd use the Potawatomi's uh, in downtown Milwaukee's anaerobic digester as oh, one see. potential mm-hmm. facility mm-hmm. for that mm-hmm. that makes sense mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. When when I did tears away, I was trying to figure out a way to recover the permeate. So so you take the whey out of whey, the whey protein out of whey. You still have the sugars. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are there are there was one plant I vis at the time I was building engineering our plant. There's one plant in the whole world that was doing this one cheese plant. It happened to be on the Arctic Circle, literally in Sweden. So I got on airplanes and flow, flew there to see it. And it they made reindeer milk cheese there. I mean, I, I, yeah, it was really far north. Um, anyway, the, the, um, it was like an energy plant. You know, I yeah. went in there and went, oh, my God, this is like running a whole separate business. And it, it has all kinds of, even though it's kind of similar and it has tanks and some of it is kind of similar. It's like, oh, my God, yeah, we're not going to get into that right now. Maybe that's a, you know, stage two business mm-hmm. development thing. Um, yeah, so that's why I asked. So they, so the, the um, somebody has to run these digesters. Absolutely. And like you said, it's very similar to a heating and cooling plant. Um, the ones that I've visited, very similar. Uh, the one in UW Oshkosh is a dry uh, digester, so it okay. operates differently. Um, mm, mm-hmm. So again, it, I've, I've, I've toured these faci- different, so many different facilities, and there are differences between mm-hmm. the two, mm-hmm. and it's very interesting when you see how they operate and mm-hmm. what machinery they're using. And um, I always look at the flow chart because if I can see a flow right. chart, I can you're really, a process guy. You look at a flow yeah, chart. I yeah. can really understand what's going where, and like, okay. I get it now. Yeah, yeah. I was just, you know, listening to the person who's um, was operating that plant and hearing, well, yeah, you know, they'll they'll we'll have problems with things, and so we had to shut the whole thing down, and you know, stuff like that. And it's just like, oh God, it's just like running, you know, it's like a whole nother plant, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's anytime you go into these facilities, whether it's a brewery, whether it's a heating plant, whether it's a anaerobic digester you're seeing just pipes and pipes and tanks pipes, tanks yeah. and like okay well the solution to every problem is another tank yeah that yep. was that that's my joke about running any of these facilities yeah like oh god he's gonna want another tank i know it <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's great cool and then the last yeah the last part of our um talk is focused on composting and that's the creating nutrient-rich soil amendment mm. um, using your organic waste. And we're going to have um, Melissa Tashin from Compost Crusader, uh, Marion X from Compost Kids, and Katie Rose from Goodkind. And mm-hmm. so Goodkind is a restaurant in Milwaukee, mm-hmm. and they actually earned an EPA award. So I'm sure uh, Katie will talk about that around their composting efforts for mm-hmm. it's a national award that they won. And kind of go into their operations and whether they do more than just compost or do um, maybe some source reduction mm-hmm. techniques. And they probably do a bit of everything in this mm-hmm. process as a restaurant. Maybe they have a, a local food pantry that they donate some of their uh, material mm-hmm. to as well. Uh, compost Crusader is an up-and-coming 
business that is a hauler for compostable materials. Mm -hmm. They have a pilot project going on in Milwaukee, and they have a pilot project going on in some of the neighboring uh, villages, such as Shorewood, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. They're Mm -hmm. undergoing that. So what do they do? They pick up compost from municipalities? Yep, they pick up. Yeah, so they are similar to a garbage hauler or waste Mm -hmm. hauler. They... You have your bins, they come in their truck, they put the compost in the truck, and they truck it down to Blue Ribbon Organics, Mm -hmm. which is located in Caledonia, I believe Mm -hmm. is their major operation, which is near the Racine Mm -hmm. area just south of Milwaukee. So they've been doing this for, I think, at least two years, if not more, Mm -hmm. and they've been getting a lot of steam and... um, Mm -hmm. So that, and and that facility, Blue Ribbon, is a big... um, what do I want to say? Where, you know, where they you have these big mounds of it, and then you turn it. Yeah. So is, I, that, is that right? That, yep. And I just spoke to some a representative from Blue Ribbon Organics mm-hmm. last weekend. Uh, I'd consider them an industrial compost facility. Sure. So they have a lot of checks and balances to make sure the compost gets heated up to the right temperature mm-hmm. to make sure there's all of the um, any type of diseases or microbes or mm-hmm. contamination gets um, wiped out. And then they also do row. They mm-hmm. like the what row. you were saying, the row Rose. composting. Mm-hmm. Uh, once they do that, and it's pretty remarkable how much space they have and how they. You turn need it. quite a lot. I have a client who does um, per, um, perennial flowers on a very large commercial scale, and um, he gets very excited about truckload quantities of manure. Like this is <laughs> like time to get excited because it's like black gold. I yep. mean, if you're going to have a large scale and they're organic, so large scale organic farm like that, you got to, you got to be generating a hell of a lot of organic matter to, mm-hmm. to make that work. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, and then the, I was going to say that just the last person that's speaking is Marion X and she's from with compost kids and, they're more of a grassroots effort mm-hmm. um, where it's a community compost organization where there's one central hub mm-hmm. and community members, instead of having your own backyard composter, you're taking those materials and putting into this hub mm-hmm. where there's enough material now and you can actually, you know. And somebody to manage it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That is always the problem with my compost. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not good on the management of it. And, and, you know, getting the layers right, and I never have enough of one thing versus the other thing, you know, the brown and the mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, it's a whole thing. Oh, yeah, you mm-hmm. know, your browns and your greens. Greens, I know. I never have the right, com- you know, browns and greens. Oh, well, oh. yeah, yeah. And my son gives me, my son is um, um, colorblind, so actually all green to him is brown, so... Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it would make it hard for composting, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, cool. So, so um, your organization is a member membership organization. Yeah, it is. It is. Um, we do. So we're an environmental nonprofit group that does have membership, and mm-hmm. if you're a member of ours, we give our members many, many, many different um, services mm-hmm. and discounts on um, a lot of the things that we do. Um, mm-hmm. So whether it's the actual consulting work that we do. Uh, we also run a retail warehouse where we sell reclaimed building material. Mm, so mm-hmm. uh, we also give them marketing pr- promotion mm-hmm. off many of our activities. We give them sponsorship opportunities mm-hmm. for events and also, you know, solutions. So then they can call us up and we can mm-hmm. be a 
huge resource for them. Mm-hmm. And like, can, I have this brine. What, about, what can I do with it? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I was mm-hmm. talking about earlier is when they call us up and we get some really funky requests. I bet. And when the general public calls us for funky requests as an operation, we can't take everyone. So sure. we'd be happy to help anyone out with their waste problems, become a member and we can help you out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, do you have a membership category for individual people or is it all for business organizations? So the, the, what we found is uh, from the waste cap consulting side mm-hmm. of our operation, it's all businesses. Sure. Uh, from for if individuals want to donate, we're a nonprofit, and we mm-hmm. always take donations. That's sure. we love, obviously love that. Uh, but f- from the local individual side, we actually have a loyalty program for mm-hmm. our um, retail. Uh, store where we mm-hmm. sell reclaimed building materials. Yeah. And that's where they're really focused on mm-hmm. um, getting, oh, I can get a 10% discount on everything mm-hmm. that I buy. And they're some really f- interesting stuff that we have there. I'm sure. Yeah. I'm sure. And I see in the future your own little, you know, jars of kimchi that is recycled. <laughs> uh, yeah. Rescued from the farm, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, have we missed anything? Um, I think I just need to talk about when the event is. Okay. Yeah, yeah. that would be good. So, so it's the, coming up. Yeah, the event is coming up on Thursday, July 27th uh, in the evening. The event check-in and networking will start at 5.30 to 6.15. So you'll have 45 minutes to check in, mm-hmm. meet some folks, uh, network as much as possible. And then at 6.15, we're going to do an hour of presentations. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is going to be a rapid fire, mm-hmm. uh, five minutes, five slides per presenter type of, of setup. Uh, from 7.15 to 7.30 is a 15-minute Q&A session mm-hmm. uh, for the big group Q&A. And then from 7.30 to 8 is more networking and then where people can come up to the presenters and pick their brains even more. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, it's wonderful to see you again. I haven't seen you since um, you were organizing. I don't know when it was. No, you did some with Slow Money. You came to some Slow Money events and did some work with us. And before that, I spoke at the the big um, sustainability conference. It was sustainability, right? Yeah. Uh, well, actually, yeah, we did a number of things together. And that was we worked together with Slow Money, Wisconsin. Yep, yep. Um, I helped you out with the Food Finance that's Accelerator. That's right, right. That's that a, was that's when we right. were. Yeah, that's when we really worked yeah. together. That's right. Now I'm remembering all of this. So, you know, paths tend to cross, so, yeah. and they keep crossing. Well, absolutely. And thank yeah. you so much for having us on. Um, we're very happy that um, you brought us on to tell our story and kind of share the event that we're doing. Mm-hmm. And again, food waste is so complicated and we're just happy to lend a helping hand in whatever way that we can. Okay, terrific. Well, thanks for coming down. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tara. Yep. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can get more podcasts by subscribing on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can learn more about Edible Alpha by visiting our website at ediblealpha.org. Thank you.